Everybody, please stand with me one last time. Good afternoon. Oh, I said good morning, didn't I? Oops. Good afternoon, everybody. It was our good food. I'm trying to find a song. Alright, let's try this one. 384. Please stand your hand back to 384. We'll stand up for the last time. This blessed old book. I think we know this one. Yeah, I think, yeah, we know this one. If not, we'll pull it off. Okay. Alright, we'll put all our minds and voices together to pull this off. Nice day. Alright. back over here uh, so I did do some sheets with some blanks in them we'll see how it goes if it doesn't go well then we'll change it again we'll do something different but uh, I probably need my notes too though 
So we've been studying on Sunday afternoons how to study the Bible. That's what we've been working on. And um, today, I kind of did key one a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, but it was without blanks, and I wasn't really happy with what I had put together. So we're going to do it a little bit differently. We'll use more scripture this time. Some stuff I'll go through quickly. Uh, you don't need to write every, you know, the bl obvious blanks I'd, if you can fill in, but some of them you probably won't need to. Um, <coughs> all right, so I'm going to go ahead and open us in a word of prayer. Actually, we'll read first. Let's read Philippians 2, 9 through 11. We'll start with that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And when you find your place, we'll stand together, we'll read these verses, we'll pray and be seated, and then we'll get into the lesson. It says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths and the promises, the instruction, Lord, the conviction that you provide through it. Lord, thank you that it is a perfect law of liberty, a mirror that when we look into its pages, you reveal to us things in our lives that we need to change, that we need to, areas we need to grow. Uh, Lord, it will bring us into maturity. It's where we learn all the doctrine and the truth that you want us to know. It's where we learn of you, your plan, your will. Lord, it is to the Christian, your word is really everything. It's where we learn everything we need to know, everything you want us to know. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, through these afternoon studies, better learn how to study it ourselves so that we can grow personally in our walk with you and increase in our knowledge and understanding of you. And Lord, I truly believe if we love you with all our hearts, then we're going to love your word as well. Uh, Father, I just pray you'd help us, you'd bless us, and you'd grow us. We ask these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> all right, so key number one is to establish the theme of the author. So the first blank is theme, second blank is author. Pretty, pretty standard, not super difficult uh, to figure out what that was there, and we touched on this last time, but it's not the author as in the penman. So we're not trying to figure out what Paul's theme is in the book of Ephesians or Colossians or Galatians. We're not trying to figure out what Peter's theme is in First or Second Peter. We're not trying to figure out what, uh, what Ezekiel's theme is in the book of Ezekiel. The author of this entire book is God himself. So we want to know what his theme is. And then, yes, every book might have a particular focus or emphasis, but ultimately... If we're going to read the Bible as a whole, which it is, one book, then we need to start with understanding what God's theme is for the book. So there is a day on God's calendar, the blank there is calendar, that he has circled, underlined, starred, exclamation pointed, and smiley face. Now this is, this is obviously... Uh, uh, you know, not real. He doesn't have a calendar hanging on the wall. But there is, uh, you know, in our houses, we have a 
dry erase calendar that Erica fills out every month and she puts little things on the special days, whether it be a little birthday cake or smiley face or hearts or whatever it is, she marks these things out. And that's kind of what we're using for an illustration here. It's not, however, the day most Christians think. It's not the day God watched his only begotten son brutalized on the cross. Now, for you and I, we often might think of the theme of the Bible as the day that Christ died to provide a way of salvation for us. And don't get me wrong, that is a theme of the Bible, and that is an extremely important day for you and I. So it's understandable why we would think that is the focus. It is our focus. But what it is, it is the day the Lord Jesus Christ returns in all of his glory to set up his kingdom on the earth. And for the first time since man sinned in the garden, he will finally receive the glory that is due his name. Uh, I'm... No. I'll... Calendar, significant? No, I'm just kidding. So you got key number one, establish the theme of the Bible. Author, I mean, you got that. So then the first blank in the first paragraph is calendar. The next one is significant. Then is cross. Glory. Kingdom. Glory. And then do is that last one. Sorry about that. I know there was a lot in that one. So... The whole, the whole gist is, you know, Christ has provided a way of salvation for you and I, and that his plan for us getting saved is ultimately so that we can be a part of his kingdom, which one day he'll rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years, and after that, for all of eternity, he is going to rule and reign, and we get to be a part of that, and if it wasn't for the way of salvation, we wouldn't get to be a part of that, but the whole point is Christ is going to rule and reign. That's where the emphasis lies, is on the fact that he is king, that he is God, that he's worthy of our worship, of our praise, of our adoration, all those things. It's about him. And when we say that the theme of the Bible, the focus of the Bible is the redemption of mankind, the salvation of mankind, we make the Bible about me. And it certainly has stuff in there about me, but I've come to the point where I'm convicted that I should read the Bible as what can I learn about him. What does he want me to learn about him from this passage? What does, he want to, what does he want me to know about him? And then through that, he reveals things to me about me that I need to change and where I need to grow. Uh, key principle, the theme of the Bible is Christ's, first blank is Christ's kingdom glory. Or the day of the Lord. So Revelation 11:15, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, "The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever." We read Philippians 2:9 and 11, speaking about the day that every tongue, uh, every tongue shall bow, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then in Psalm 66:4, all the earth shall worship Thee and shall sing unto Thee; they shall sing to Thy name. So we see uh, prophecy, revelation, New Testament, Philippians, Old Testament, Psalms. We see throughout the Bible the theme, or we see this theme throughout. We'll look, we'll look at some other verses. We'll turn in our Bibles some here in a couple minutes. Key examples. The theme of the Bible is seen through record of. The number blank there is seven. The number seven. It is a very significant 
number in the Bible. And we know this, it's God's number of perfection, it's God's number of completion. Uh, that's how we often talk about it, but I've come to, come to the conclusion that I think it often or is also pointing to the day that Christ is going to rule and reign on the earth. Just, well, we'll get there, I'm going to get ahead. So Noah, unclean animals by twos, clean animals by sevens. I've always wondered why. Why were the clean animals by sevens? I thought, well, they, wouldn't make, they don't make as much of a mess, maybe, but I know what the, some of the clean animals are, and they make plenty mess, plenty of mess. So why by sevens? It's just kind of interesting. Jacob served seven years for Rachel. So again, we see seven years. He also served seven years for Leah. We know that, too. Egypt, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. The book of Joshua Israel marched around Jericho seven days. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times, while seven priests with seven trumpets led the way. See the number seven multiple times in that passage. The candlestick in the tabernacle has seven branches. Solomon was seven years building the temple. When it was complete, there was a seven-day feast. Job had seven sons. When the tribulation started, his friends came and spent seven days in silence and offered seven rams and seven bullocks as a sacrifice. Naaman had leprosy and washed in the Jordan seven times. On the Day of Atonement, blood sprinkled on the mercy seat seven times. The feasts under the law, there are seven for Israel. While on the cross, Jesus spoke seven times. If you miss some of these, I can go back or I can get you a copy of it. So that if you, I understand there's a lot more to these than just writing in one word. Um, the book of Acts, the early church was told to choose out seven men for deacons. I also believe there are seven transitions in Acts. We may get to that next week. The book of Revelation addressed to seven churches in Asia, minor. From the seven spirits before the throne, there are seven golden candlesticks. The Lord was holding seven stars in his right hand. There were seven lamps of fire burning before his throne. There is a seven-sealed book and a lamb having seven horns and seven eyes. There are seven angels who sound seven trumpets. Seven thunders, there, are a, there is a beast with seven heads, a dragon having seven heads, and seven crowns upon his heads, seven plagues, seven vials, seven mountains, and seven kings. In all, in the book of Revelation, the number seven appears 59 times. So seven's in there a lot. So that's not even all of them as far as the, the Bible is concerned, but it just goes to show us seven is significant to God. We believe this is God's word, and he seems to frequently use that number seven, there must be a reason for it. Now, I know we say it's completion, it is perfection, at which I agree. I believe that, but there's a reason why that is his number of completion or perfection. I think we'll see that here in a few moments. So God works according to a pattern of seven. Blank there, seven. Surprise, we're talking about seven still. <clears throat> seven days in Exodus 23, 12. Let's jump back to Exodus 23, 12. We'll look up some of these references. I want us to see from the Bible some of these things. 
I will be honest. Part of the reason we're doing the handouts is because we just had a big meal and it is really hard to stay focused and engaged on Sunday afternoon after we eat a big meal. So hopefully these are going to help us stay focused and stay engaged, engaged, stay awake, all those good things. So seven days is this first bullet point. Exodus 23, 12 says, six days thou shalt do thy work. And on the seventh day thou shalt rest that thine ox and thine ass may rest and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. So we see this seventh day as a day of rest. Six days of work, seventh day rest. We see that in creation as well. We're going to get there in a few minutes. The second bullet, Leviticus 23. The blank is weeks, so we see God working uh, through this pattern of seven days. Then it's seven weeks, so that's the next blank there. Leviticus 23, 15 and 16, it says, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. From the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So God told Israel, count seven Sabbaths from Passover, so that Pentecost fell on the fiftieth day after the completion of seven weeks. So seven weeks, then they had Pentecost. The next bullet is seven months. So God works according to seven days, seven weeks, and seven months. In Leviticus 23 still, verse number 24, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation. So uh, Israel was told six months, and the seventh month was the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, and the Day of Atonement. So it was a special day. On that seventh month, the next blank, you probably can guess at this point, seven years. <laughs> We're going with seven years on the next one. <clears throat> Still in Leviticus, chapter 25, verses 1 through 6. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow thy field, and six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest thou shalt not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of, a rest, of rest unto the land." And the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee and for thy servant, and for the maid, and for thy hired servant, and for thy stranger that sojourneth with thee. So seven years, and they'd have this Sabbath year. Uh, Israel would work the land six years. Seventh year, the land would rest or enter a Sabbath rest. You also notice a lot of times, or some of these, the number seven deals with rest, which we're going to get to that in a moment. 
Leviticus 25, 8 to 13, seven weeks of years. So we got seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years, now seven weeks of years. Leviticus 25, same passage, verses 8 to 13 says, Thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times, seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, and the day of atonement shall ye make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And ye shall, through verse 13, right? Yep. And ye shall hollow, hallow, the fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you. And ye shall return every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, uh, in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the years of this jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. So this is known as the year of jubilee, the fiftieth year, seven weeks of years. Second to last one on this list here, seven decades. Seven decades. I'll just look at one of these two references. We'll go to Daniel 9.2. If you want to look up the other one in your time, you can, but so that I don't... Whoops. Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 2. <coughs> it says, In the first year of his reign... I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So we see 70 years God worked through in this case. And the last one is seven millennia. And we're going to take a little longer on this one, study this a little bit more thoroughly. So first, before we get into the Genesis passage, jump with me over to 2 Peter 3.8. And then we're going to go to Genesis 1 and 2. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. I'm going to be honest, I had not really caught this before. This is a passage that has been used to try to claim the day-age theory. I'm familiar with the creation account. Some would say, well, you know, this verse here tells us that it's seven years. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Every year, or every day rather, goodness, every day that God created something was a, the equivalent of a thousand years, and it's, they would use it to say that it took God 7,000 years for creation, or they would even say it was more than that, and that this is how evolution can be true, as well as the Bible creation account, which we know that's all not true. Uh, we understand that. But I think there is something that we might be able to draw from this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Now, God exists outside of time. The way I've always kind of read this is, well, a day to me, or a thousand years to me is like one day to the Lord. Is that wrong? No. God sees out, he lives outside of time. So he knows the end from the beginning. Uh, he already knows everything's going to happen. Uh, so, yeah, that, that is true. But it is interesting that this whole account here is dealing with the, uh, the Lord's return. 
the very next verse, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This speaks about the day of the Lord. Uh, so it's interesting that this is talking about Christ's coming. Well, I recently heard in a message, and take this for what it is, you can choose to agree with this or not, but I think it's a very interesting correlation. If we go back to Genesis and we take that principle or that possibility, that thought that a day, the day, a day with the Lord is the equivalent of a thousand years and a thousand years as a day, there's some things we can possibly take from this. So we understand in the first, uh, first chapter, we'll look at verse 5, says, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the what? First day, right? So day one, light, darkness, morning and evening. Day two on, in verse number 8, And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So day two, God made the firmament in the heavens. Day 3, verse 13. And the earth brought forth grass and herb, yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So we see the trees and the herbs and the grass and all those things. Day, uh, verse 19 says, And the evening, uh, well, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So that was uh, the greater light and the lesser light that was that going on verse 23 and the evening and the morning were the fifth day god blessed them fruitful and multiply so he made the uh, whales all the sea creatures in verse 31 our last day six here he made the beasts of the earth verse 31 and god saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good in the evening and the morning were the sixth day so there's our six days of creation day seven what does he do this is kind of interesting. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because, it, because that in, in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So here's a couple of interesting observations. Day number seven was the day God rested question. Do you think that on day seven, God sat back and he thought, those six days of creation, boy, they just wiped me out. I'm exhausted. It's time for me to kick back in my easy boy recliner, turn on the, no, he probably doesn't watch TV, but just kick back and relax and rest because those six days were hard work. This is God we're talking about, right? He's all powerful. I don't think God gets tired. He lives outside of it. It will be a help to us. Secondly, it had no evening or morning. God listed evening and morning on the first six days, but on day seven, he never mentions evening and morning. Kind of an interesting, uh, interesting observation. Not to say there were not evening and morning, but for some reason, God chose not to point that out, not to, not to record the evening and morning were the seventh day. That's what he said on every other one. Thirdly, it was a day God blessed. Why does God bless this day but not state that the other six days were blessed? God made us to work. So why is it that he blesses the rest day, but on the six days when he worked, he didn't bless each of those? And then fourthly, it was a day God sanctified. What's sanctified mean? It means to be set apart, right? So he set day seven apart. 
He was making it different than the other six days. He specifically set it apart for himself. It was the day he rested, right? So it, we could maybe say it was the Lord's Day. We celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. Uh, God chose the last day of the week to make the Sabbath the day of rest. We're celebrating his resurrection. Uh, I think this seventh day is to celebrate the Lord's Day, the day of the Lord. And if you remember, 2 Peter 3.8, we won't go back there right now, but if you remember that verse, a day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. And remember at the very beginning of that verse, what did it say? Be not ignorant of this one thing. And then right after that is, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. They were, being, they were being criticized. God was being criticized because Christ hadn't returned yet. And he said he was going to return. So right before Peter said, God's not slack concerning his promise, but he's long-suffering. Right before that, he said, a day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day, and that we're not to be ignorant of it. Why? Well, look with me over in Revelation 20. Revelation chapter number 20. Verses 1 through 7. Satan is bound for a thousand years. You know what? Yeah, Satan's bound for a thousand years. Why is he bound for a thousand years? What's going on during that time? The millennial reign. Right. So we know what's taking place there. This is the thousand years Christ rules and reigns on the earth. We, we are with him, ruling and reigning. Satan is bound. Matthew 16. Jump back to Matthew 16. You can look some of these up. I don't want to everyone to fall asleep on me, so I'm going to pick it up a little bit. Matthew 16. I find this stuff really fun and interesting. Hopefully others do too, but maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm weird. I don't know. Matthew 16, 27 and 28 says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father, with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So this year, I swear I saw this years ago, but recently come across this whole thing again, and it really just, I just found it amazing. So Christ is speaking in verse 27 of his second coming, when he comes in his glory, okay? Verse 28, he tells the men standing before him, his disciples, according to verse 24, then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto his disciples, he says, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Well, we must have missed it then, right? Because the disciples have been long gone, and we're not sitting here in Christ's kingdom, not, in, not with him on the throne anyway. So what's going on here? Well, let's... Look at a couple of things. I found this just amazing. Ver chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. So it's right below. It says, and after six days. So what's the day after six? Seven, right? So Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain heart, and was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be if thou wilt. Let us make here three tabernacles, 
Elias and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So, he says, some of you are going to live to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The very next passage, they're up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they see Christ, his face shining as the light. Look with me over in 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Oh, come on. Second Peter 1, verses 16 and through 18. It says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is saying, we're not just making this stuff up. These aren't just fables. When we spoke to you, uh, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They saw it with their own eyes, the coming of Jesus Christ. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, he's probably talking about something else. Well, look at verse 18. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. When was that? When they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Christ in his glory. And Christ had just told them, some of you are going to live to see me coming in my glory. Well, we know none of those apostles are still alive today, but Christ showed them a heavenly vision. Christ showed them, well, he showed them a picture of his coming in his kingdom glory. Study it out. I mean, it's in, over in Luke chapter 9, 28, we won't turn there, but it does say, it goes about eight days, so it's speaking of the same thing, same account of the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, and about eight days, so some people will say there's a contradiction between after six days, but we know what's after six and about eight would be seven, right? We could make that work. So if we take the equation of 2 Peter 3, 8, one day equals a thousand years, apply it to the first time days are mentioned in the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, what would it say? After 6,000 years, the following thousand years would be a thousand-year period on this planet that God would rest. Look with me in Acts chapter number 3. I won't look up all these verses again, but just this might be the last ones we look up. Acts chapter number 3. So where are we going with this? I, I, I think I just said that fast. So six, day, six days of work, if that, we take Second Peter 3, 8, the day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years of day, is a day. We could say the first six days God worked, 6,000 years of history on this earth. Day seven, God rested. Could that be the thousand year, the millennial reign in which Christ is going to rest from all the work that he's done on this earth? It is the Lord's day which he blessed and hallowed. There'll be no evening, no morning, because the Bible says he's going to light the world. There'll be no need of the sun. There'll be no evening and morning. Uh, it's an interesting correlation Think on it, because it's probably something different than what we've heard before. Uh, but look with me in, in Acts chapter number 3, verse 19 through 21. It says, so this is the kingdom being offered to Israel. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Well, what's refreshing? Usually we 
are refreshed through rest, right? I mean, that's what we usually get refreshed is through rest. Well, when's this refreshing coming, according to verse 19? From the presence of the Lord, verse 20. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. What's that tell us? That every prophet that had ever lived since the world began was preaching about Christ's kingdom glory on this earth, was preaching about Christ ruling and reigning on the earth. I think we probably don't even have all the records of the messages that were preached by some of these prophets that were telling the people, particularly Israel, Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming in his kingdom glory. It has been the message, according to this passage, it has been the message of the mouth of all of God's prophets since the world began. And that the thousand years is a period of rest. So it makes it so it fits well. Hebrews 4, I don't know if I have that in your notes, don't turn there. 3 through 5, that speaks of entering into his rest as well. It would also be a thousand-year period on this planet that has no evening or morning. I jumped ahead. There's Revelation 20, verses 1 through 5, 21, 23, speaks about no morning or evening, but that the sun, S-O-N, would light the earth. A thousand-year period on this planet that is blessed like no other period in history. Will the millennium not be blessed like no other period in history? A thousand-year period on this planet that God set apart for himself. The Bible does call it the day of the Lord when he comes and sets up his kingdom on this earth. And lastly, a thousand-year period on this planet known as the Lord's Day or the Day of the Lord. I got ahead of myself. Quickly, you can go to any book of the Old Testament. And if we read it knowing or thinking from the perspective of God's theme being the coming of the Lord, the Lord's Day, as I've been studying my Bible since kind of seeing this, every single book I've looked through in the Old Testament, I have found the day of the Lord. That day is often refers to, and that day, and it's pointing to the day of the Lord. Every time we see the number seven. So it's interesting, interesting thought that 2 Peter 3, 8, but beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, speaking of the day of the Lord. So I say all that, to say, if, if that is correct, and we compare the scripture to scripture, and we look at those two things, and we say, yeah, I see that, I, I would agree with that. Well, you know how many years man has existed on this earth? About 6,000 years. 4,000 years of history from creation to the coming of Christ, and it has been about 2,000 years of the age of grace or the church age. I'm not saying I know when Christ is coming back. It could be another 1,000 years. I don't know. I could be completely wrong on this, but if not, then the Lord is coming back at any time. And doesn't the Bible tell us to be watching and ready? So I really believe that it is, it is close. We are so close. It is getting closer. Well, of course, it's been getting closer for 2,000 years, but <laughs> we're just getting closer all the time. So key takeaway, and I'm done. Until Christ's kingdom glory... Until Christ's kingdom glory is the passion and theme of our lives, I guess it's the third blank is lives, we will totally miss the point of the Bible, our salvation, and thus the purpose for our very existence. See, what this has caused me to really realize, which I knew, but it has just made it that much more in my face, is that I exist for him. I am here for him. He made me for him. 
He saved me for him. He didn't save me for me. He saved me for him because he has something he wants me to do for him on this earth. And then one day he wants me to be with him in glory, in his kingdom glory. But I'm not here for him. Uh, no, he's not here for me. He doesn't exist for me. And so many Christians, it seems, I listen to people talk and it's me, 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 me. But if we understand, it's about him. It's all about him. And it, I believe it helps to transform the way we think, the way we read the Bible, but also the way we think about our responsibility on this earth, that I am here for him. What does he want to do with me? How does he want to use me? What is his will for my life? And understand, he's going to be sitting on the throne for a thousand years on this earth, and then for all of eternity, I can, I can make the most of that time, or I can make the most of this time. Eternity is, we're going to be thankful if we make the most of the time here to make that, much, that time that much better. All right, that's what I got for this afternoon. <laughs> okay, so that was too much. Oh, too fast? That's what it was? Too fast? Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I okay. All right. Well, I need, appreciate that feedback because it helps me for next time. To, I'll know to slow down. Was it too fast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Absolutely. We are. Christ. Yep. Yep, very true. We're living for an audience of one. Yep, it was. Yeah. Yep. It goes back to that Philippians 4, 5, was it? Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That really what matters is what he wants us to do. Not what everyone else wants us to do. Not even what we want to do. It's what his will is. We're living for him. Absolutely. Very true. It's, it's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it sometimes. And it's hard for us to submit to it. Because we want what we want. You know. We want out of this life. We want to make the most. Think, we think if we don't make the most out of this life, we're going to miss out on something. You know, we won't. Eternity is going to be so much better than the best, the best things we can have here. You know, Eternity is going to be so much greater. In fact, I think the opposite. If we try to make the most out of this, we'll have regrets. You know, be disappointed. But All right. Well, that's what I have for this afternoon. We'll go ahead and pray, and we can fellowship as we go. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Uh, I pray, Lord, that, well, I pray that even if we went too fast or covered a lot, I pray that the handouts would be a help so that we can go back and look at some of those things. And I'm happy to share anything that I have that was missed or go over some of these things later. Father, I pray that it would be a help to us, that we realize that our life is for you. The very reason that you put breath in our lungs and you cause our heart to beat and our, and our bodies to work, for us to live, is so that we can, we can glorify you. We can serve you. Ultimately, we're, we should be working and laboring for your kingdom. Lord, I pray you'd help us to realize and to grasp just how important it is. Just how important you ought to be to every single one of us. Lord, I just pray you'd help us. 
I pray you bless our day, bless uh, the rest of our week, help us to live for you and serve you, and to realize, as Brother Ron just said, that we're living for an audience of one, that all that really matters is that what we do pleases you. That's all that really matters. I pray you'd help us to remember that. Father, thank you for all you do. Thank you for those who've been here today. Be with those who weren't able to be. And I pray they'd be back next week. Lord, we ask these things and we pray them all in Jesus' name.